Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine where we do our best to keep you up on the latest literature. Now, if you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so you will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only getting a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, though, all good articles. But if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember, we never want money to be a barrier to better patient care, so if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, just get in touch. We'll help you out. Now, this is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by our authors, Laura Murphy, Dendrick Cooper, Seth Walsh-Blackmore, and Clay Smith. Okay, we're skipping off to the fourth article. Titled, Effectiveness of a Novel Tablet Application in Reducing Guideline Deviations During Pediatric Cardiac Arrest, a Randomized Clinical Trial out of the JAMA Network Open. When any patient arrests, the stakes are high. But when a child arrests, oh man, the stakes feel like they're through the roof. In times of stress, there are many that advocate for the use of memory aids, checklists, like the pilots do is most people's arguments, because we rarely crash planes anymore. Things like cardiac arrests have thankfully been broken down into mostly algorithmic care, and so that's how most people conduct resuscitations, thanks to PALS. But when you're stressed, it's hard to remember exactly what the next thing in the algorithm is, so sometimes, you know, we just need a little helper. This study randomized pediatric, emergency, and anesthesiology residents into one of three arms of a study using simulated patients. Group 1 was the intervention group, and they had access to an application on a tablet called the Petty App Arrest app. This was a visual aid to help you remember where in the arrest you are and where you're going. It's essentially the PALS algorithms. This app was created in collaboration with the University of Padova, And as far as I can tell, it's only available in Italian, and so it's not available in any of the app stores that I have access to. Now, group two was given a paper cognitive aid, like the PALS algorithms just on a sheet of paper, and group three had no cognitive aid at all. The primary outcome was adherence to a checklist of 15 items meant to reflect following guideline-based care. This study found that the residents using the application adhered most closely to the intended care by a significant margin. The group with the app also had shorter times to perform critical interventions and scored higher on clinical performance tools. So it's a cute little study, and most of the residents were pediatric residents rather than emergency residents, but you know, it's still a cool concept. Unfortunately, the relevance of all the items on the checklist might be questionable to be considered like terribly important. They had a lot of time-based benchmarks that I don't know are really validated to be accomplished in those time scales. Like, are you really going to have gone terribly wrong if you didn't call for a VBG during the arrest? It's not likely to come back in time to change your management anyways in most cases, so it's not crucial. Also, how does this correlate to real life rather than simulation? Of course, no one can ever be sure. I don't think anybody wants to see the leader of a code with their nose buried in their cell phone the whole time, looking at an app and not looking at the patient and what's happening. I do, however, think that this has potential and that all code rooms should certainly have the algorithms hung up on the walls. Now, it's hard to say if a more experienced emergency medicine doctor would benefit from something like this. I'd hate to say I doubt it. 
Actually, it's kind of funny to even imagine the, the thought of an older staff attempting to navigate a tablet application during a code. Some people still have trouble just typing with more than two fingers and barely know how to use their EMRs, let alone using a phone application during a critical situation. In a spoonful, an app-based algorithm for pediatric arrest worked well to improve the care of simulated patients, even compared with a paper algorithm. And then the fifth and final article titled, Evidence for Anchoring Bias During Physician Decision-Making Out of the JAMA Internal Medicine. Now, the human brain is a brilliant thing, constantly finding better and faster and more efficient ways to solve problems. This can unfortunately be a little bit to our detriment when it comes to coming up with a differential diagnosis for our patients, though. After all, the easiest thing to do is to anchor, to prioritize a particular diagnosis, which is usually our first thought diagnosis. Now, anchoring is fairly well accepted to be a pretty commonplace occurrence, but there's not actually that much data, that much evidence to base that claim on. These authors did a study on data from the Veterans Affairs database looking at patients with a history of congestive heart failure presenting with complaints of shortness of breath. The sample included more than 108,000 patients, 4,400 of which had in the triage note as part of the reason for the visit it mentioned CHF. This was typed, written out by the triage nurse. They said the patient has come for CHF, or some variant of that. And what the authors wanted to see was how this affected the behavior of the doctor's reading. So presumably, you've read the triage note, and you see that the triage nurse has said that the patient came for CHF. How does this change your behavior? The primary outcome was the rate of testing for venous thromboembolisms, another common and potentially deadly cause of shortness of breath. The authors looked at rates of D-dimer testing, CT chest with contrast, perfusion scans, and DVT ultrasounds, as well as the diagnosis of PE within 30 days. If CHF was mentioned by triage, then these patients were significantly less likely to get VTE testing. 5% less, actually, 8% versus 13%. The same was true for the diagnosis of VTE in the emergency department, despite there being an equal amount of these diagnoses by 30 days. So the PEs that leveled things out, they must have been caught later during admission or after a representation. That said, there's likely a reason why these patients had CHF mentioned by triage. I mean, these are experienced nurses, they, they kind of know their job. Indeed, in patients without mention of CHF, these patients were more likely to have tachycardia, they had a more likely chance of having a recent history of malignancy, or even other recent venothromboembolic disease as well as less likely to have a prior admission for CHF exacerbations. These were all statistically significant differences. So is this really showing anchoring bias? Or did these patients just honestly present with CHF? It's hard to say for certain, but you should be careful about what information is given to you and you should always be skeptical of it. Question your assumptions. Or better yet, just don't read the triage note. Triage is meant to assign priority of the patients. Why even read the note at all? Just go see the patient for yourself and ask them all your own questions. It's not like you weren't going to do that anyways. In this point, if CHF was included as the cause for presentation by triage, patients were less likely to be worked up for a VTE in this VA-based study. This could represent, in part, evidence of anchoring bias. Okay, that's all our articles. What did we cover from this past week? From the fourth article, you know, perhaps don't text your friends during a code, but your phone could still be useful. It could help guide you through a pediatric resuscitation, as we saw in this study. And then from the fifth article, careful what the triage note says. It might bias your thinking and your testing. 
or the triage nurse assessment is actually pretty good. It's hard to say. Anyways, if you're hearing this, then you're not part of the members feed, and so you actually missed three articles from this past week. We covered whether or not it's okay to give Paxlovid for CKD patients, and then we talked about whether or not our COVID treatments are still working, and finally we covered an ASEPT policy statement on acute strokes. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time.